church, you guys can grab a seat. Welcome. Merry Christmas. We can say Merry Christmas, right? We're Christmas week. I think it's officially Christmas time. I'm in the Christmas spirit. I hope that you're in the Christmas spirit as well. And uh, just want to extend a warm welcome to those of you who are in the room with us, as well as to our online church family, those out there in the, the interwebs. I want to say welcome to you. Glad that you're tuned in with us this morning as we begin the process of celebrating the birth of Christ, one of the most incredible events in human history. So happy that you're here with us. Just uh, by way of reminder, because it is Christmas week, that means something is coming up. Does anybody know what's coming up? Christmas Eve, Christmas... Eve, candlelight services, 4 p.m., 6 p.m., so just a reminder, that's coming up uh, this week. Again, two in-person gatherings, as well as both will be uh, live-streamed uh, for your convenience. And so would encourage you, uh, invite somebody to watch with you online. You can host a watch party on Facebook or just share it on a social media account. That would be incredibly helpful to us just to kind of get the word out that Jesus has come and if you're planning on coming to an in-person gathering, maybe think of one person uh, that you could bring with you. And uh, let's, let's take a moment and uh, get our hearts in the, the right place to hear the word. Let's, let's pray before we, we dive in this morning. God, um, Christmas time <clears throat> can be such an, uh, an exciting time, but um, God, if we're honest, it can also be a time of incredible stress. And it can be a time where our minds wander and drift to places that maybe aren't uh, where they need to be during this season, God. We live in a dark world. This has been a dark year. It's been a tough year for so many people, God. And um, so I just pray that right now, in this moment, for the next half hour or so, that you would just uh, still our hearts. You would calm our, our thoughts and our minds, God, if they're our things that we're worried about, our concerns that we brought in here, that you'd allow us just to, in your grace, set those things aside for a little while so that we could connect with you, that we could hear that still small voice from your spirit speaking to our hearts, God. The reality is we need a word from you. We need your light in this season, God. And so would you speak to us now, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to start with a, with a question, and, uh, and I want to encourage you to, to, be, to be honest, and this will be kind of audience participation time, and so uh, we are in church, and so please, please be honest here. How, how many of you um, either slept as a child with a nightlight, or you currently have a child that sleeps with a nightlight? Raise your hand. Come on, be honest. The Lord sees you. All right, that's, that's at least, that's probably 60, 70% of people in the room. That's probably, probably a similar percentage of those people watching online. Now, now, let me ask you another question. This is an even harder one to be on. How many of you still sleep with a light on in the room? Some Maybe a closet light on or a nightlight? All right, all right. No, listen, no, no judgment, no, no shame. The reality is darkness can kind of be a scary thing, isn't it? I mean, it really, it really can be. How many of you know that darkness is a real thing in this world? And, and, and not just like the kind of darkness that, that you can't see, like, like spiritual darkness, real, real spiritual darkness, the darkness of disease and death and all these sorts of things, calamities that happen in our, in our world. I, I remember when I was, I was nine years old, my parents were serving overseas in, um, in South America, and every four years, we'd, we'd get to come back to the, to the States for about six months. And... Um, so it's about nine years old. We were in Alabama, kind of my, my stomping grounds. 
And we don't have to worry about this much in the mountains, thank God. But in the, in the deep south, we, we have to constantly kind of think about tornadoes, right? So that's kind of a, a common thing down south. And so I can remember one night, uh, we, my sister and I were asleep upstairs and uh, there was this kind of a storm raging outside and the, and the power went off. Now, how many of you know when the power goes off, it's dark, right? You, you don't realize how dark it is, right? Until you look outside and all the street lights are off. I mean, it's like dark, dark. And so uh, laying up there, let's say, okay, this is kind of weird. The power's off. And all of a sudden, I hear my parents come upstairs and they're like, hey guys, get up now, grab your pillow, get downstairs right now. Now, when your parents wake you up in the middle of the night, tell you to get downstairs, that's never a good thing, right? You're either about to get in trouble or something's going down. And uh, so we go downstairs and look out the window. Because all the power's out, we literally cannot see more than a couple of feet from the window, right? So the windows start shaking, the, the tornado sirens come on. And I don't know if any of you have lived through a tornado, but tornadoes actually have a sound when they get close to where you are. Anybody experience that? It kind of sounds like a train, doesn't it? Coming down a track. I mean, it, it really is terrifying. And again, you look outside, you can't see where this thing is. So we don't know if it's coming from the north so that we could go on the other side of the house. We don't know. We don't have no idea where this thing is coming from. So I'm just standing there and I've got, we've got our pillow, got our, our heads tucked between our knees, our pillow. And we're just kind of like, man, we're, this is it, man. This is how it's going to go down. And all of a sudden the roof gets ripped off and I'm, sucks me up like 50 feet in the air. No, no, that part didn't happen. That part didn't happen. But all the rest of it actually happened, and it was terrifying because it was so, so dark, couldn't see anything, didn't know how to, how to get away from it, didn't know where to go, and it was awful. The reality is we live in a state of darkness in this world. And again, it's not just physical darkness, it's spiritual darkness, it's sadness of the soul, it's disease, it's death, it's war, it's all those things. Listen, we live in a very dark world, y'all. It's a dark place. Oftentimes, it's depressing Aren't you glad he came to church today? Yeah, Merry Christmas. I have the gift of encouragement. Well, guess what? We're gonna be in a passage, John's Gospel. You can go ahead and go there. John's Gospel, chapter eight. And when the Apostle John wrote this Gospel, his world wasn't unicorn and rainbows either. In fact, I, I would argue his world was actually much darker than ours. And in fact, John lived in a world where uh, a tyrannical king or empire would literally just slaughter people for sport. There's nothing they could do about it. Just injustice was rampant. Racism, sexism, just a completely normal part of society. There was no battle against it. Murder rates skyrocketed. I mean, it was, it was an awful time. In fact, John, when he writes this gospel, by this point that he pins this, has likely seen some of his best friends executed for their faith in Jesus Christ. So Peter, Paul, at this point, have both likely been executed and yet he, he writes this gospel to us and gives us hope in the midst of dark. And so John wrote into a dark world. We live in a dark world today. I think that's one reason why I love Christmas lights uh, so much. I think that's why so many of us enjoy Christmas lights, right? We're, we're kind of in here and we got the Christmas lights and the Christmas tree and just kind of sets the mood. It gives us hope in the midst of darkness. In fact, last night, Cheryl and I just sat down and booked our our trip on Christmas uh, night to the Arboretum so we could go see all the, the Christmas lights with the kid. Man, we, we love light, right? It's one of the things that gets us into the Christmas spirit. And so that's what I wanna talk to you about for the next 25 or 30 minutes is light in the darkness. Light in the darkness. Now at this point uh, in John's gospel, at this point in the narrative, uh, something amazing 
has, has just happened, okay? And so um, if you grew up in the church world, you're probably familiar with this story. But the Pharisees have, have caught this woman um, in the act of adultery, okay? And so they, they take her and they, and they drag her into the temple courts, all right, where there are hundreds if not thousands of people who have gathered to hear Jesus preach. And so just imagine for a moment this woman's humiliation and shame. Put yourself in her shoes, right? Caught in the act of adultery, they drag her, she's probably stripped down in front of thousands of people and they throw her at the feet of Jesus and they say, Jesus, the law of Moses says that we ought to stone this lady. But what do you say? And John records this incredible scene where Jesus actually stoops down and he begins to, he begins to write something in, in the dirt. Now, we don't, we don't know what Jesus was writing in the dirt uh, some biblical scholars have speculated that perhaps he was writing the sins of those Pharisees who had those rocks in their hands. And I would like to think that that's true. Wouldn't that be cool? That's what he's writing. They're like, oh, dang, he's talking about me. But he's, he's writing something in the dirt. And, um, and they keep asking him questions. They're like, Jesus, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta get, get up and give us an answer. This is what the law says. So finally, Jesus stands up and he says the famous words, you guys know it, he who has no sin casts the what? The first stone. And then John says, Jesus stoops right back down. He begins to write in the dirt again. And then John says, one by one, starting with the oldest, they all drop the rocks and they leave. I think it's funny that it mentions that the oldest leave first. The older you get, the more jacked up you realize you are, right? So the older folks walk out first. And then the younger folks drop their rocks. They're like, yeah, I guess I'm a sinner too. And then he looks at this poor woman who thinks that she's about to die, the most humiliating, scared moment of her life. And Jesus says, woman, has no one condemned you? She says, Lord, no one. And Jesus replies, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. See, Jesus encounters this woman at a crisis point in her life. And first of all, he loves her, doesn't he? He protects her, he forgives her, but in the very same breath, he challenges her with truth. Go and sin no more. Now, the, the reality is most of us tend to be really good at one of those two things, but not both, aren't we? Most of us are really good at telling the truth, but typically, if we're a truth teller, we're not really good at doing it lovingly, right? You guys know some of those people, right? They don't have many friends. <laughs> They're really good at telling you like it is, but they won't tell it to you in a loving way. That's a lot of people. On the other hand, you have another group of people that are very loving. And they'll, they'll, they'll be very loving. They'll kind of engage you with love, but they'll never tell you the stinking truth because they don't want to offend you. They don't want to ruffle your feathers. They don't want to step on your toes. And so most of us tend to be kind of on one end of the, those two spectrums, but Jesus marries them both beautifully and flawlessly. He loves this woman. He protects her. He engages her. He forgives her. And then he challenges her with truth. You're forgiven, but go and sin no more. Don't do this. I've got a better way for you, daughter. There's a better pathway in life for you. Now, I want you to look at the very next verse in John chapter 8, verse 12. And this is where we find our I am statement for today. Here we go. Again, this scene has just happened, right? So this, this crowd has just witnessed this incredible time where Jesus has saved this woman. He's stepped in. He's loved her. He's challenged her. He's protected her. This is the very next thing. Again, Jesus spoke to them 
saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, given what just happened, this incredible scene where this woman, he saves her, he steps in, this statement almost seems like it's a little bit out of place, a little bit out of context, and it would be if we didn't understand the setting. So here's my, I'll go ahead and give it to you. Here's my outline uh, for, for the next 30 minutes or so. We're gonna look at the setting of John chapter eight. We're gonna look at a claim from Jesus, and then we're gonna close with an invitation from Jesus, and then we can all get out of here and drink our eggnog or buy our, our last presents on Amazon or whatever you gotta do. So here's, here's part one, the unlikely setting. This was a dark time. This was kind of a festival of lights that had really deep meaning. Now you gotta understand that this time, Israel was under Roman occupation, okay? So they were subjected to all kinds of abuse, injustice at the hands of the Roman government, brutality. I mean, it, was, it would have been an awful time, a really dark time. So just for, for, for us, I think as Americans in 2020, it is so hard for us to put ourselves in place of these people 2,000 years ago. It's almost like we read it and there's just this disconnect. We can't understand the weight uh, that they would have understood some of the, the teachings of Jesus. So just imagine, if you would, that we were invaded by a foreign army. Middle of the night, we go to sleep tonight, everything's cool. We wake up and Iran has invaded, they've taken over, they're in the White House, their military's patrolling the streets, just beating up whoever they want to be, just abusing people. It would be a really dark, depressing time as Americans, right? Well, this is the context and culture of these people in Israel 2,000 years ago. And so Jesus makes this scandalous claim in this environment, and he makes it, listen to this, in the middle of the festival of booths or tabernacles. Now, if you know anything about Old Testament history, this was a week-long celebration where everybody in the nation of Israel would come to the city of Jerusalem, and they would pinch their, their booths or their tents and party for a week. So just think like 4th of July, on steroids for a week. It was just this amazing party. And here, here's where it gets really, really fascinating. During the festival, the priests would go into the temple courts and they would light all these huge candles on these huge candelabras. In fact, some would say that the, the warmth of the glow of all the candles in the temple would kind of cast light over the whole city of Jerusalem for that entire week. And so the lighting of these candles was really, really significant. In fact, as some of you probably remember the story in the Old Testament, the story of the Exodus where God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt and he's taken them to the promised land in Canaan and God led them, Exodus 13 tells us, by a pillar of cloud by day. And do you remember what he led them by at night? A pillar of fire by night. Now this was, this was significant for a couple of reasons. One, that fire, that pillar of fire represented God's presence and protection. That was God's way of saying to his people, look, I am with you, I've got your back, you're my people, I'm your God, I got you. I'm with you, my presence is here. But practically, number two, it served a very uh, helpful purpose in that it provided light so that they could navigate in the darkness. And so we can just imagine Jesus at this festival of booths, this festival of lights, and they're in the temple complex. We learn that. Jesus actually makes this comment, this statement, in the temple complex. And, and we can imagine maybe they've just lit the candles at night. We've got these huge tiki torch things, you know, going, bright, bright lights, and Jesus steps into the scene. Or maybe it's the morning time where they've just kind of put the, the candles out, put the lights out for the day. And Jesus looks at the crowd who's watching this whole huge festivity. 
And he makes this incredibly radically bold claim and he says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Now these Jewish people would have understood very, very clearly that Jesus in that moment was saying, listen, I am the light that led you in the wilderness. He was making a claim of divinity. I, I, am, I, am, I am God. I'm the Messiah that the prophets wrote about. I'm the Messiah, the king that you've been waiting for for the last however many hundreds or thousands of years. Like, I'm that guy. Hey, I'm the light. See all these candles that you guys come and you celebrate for a week every year and you love these candles, man. These, these candles, these lights are gonna go out. But if you'll follow me, I will give you the light that will actually lead to life forever. Now, the interesting thing, if you study kind of the, the meta-narrative, the overarching narrative of Scripture, is that this theme of light doesn't actually begin in the Exodus where God's people are in the wilderness. It actually begins in the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible. And so I want you to go back with me to Genesis chapter 1 just for a minute. This will be on the screens for you. I want you to listen to the very first words ever penned in these ancient Scriptures that we call the Bible. It says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hover, hovering over the face of the waters. Look at verse three. And God said, let there be lights. And there was lights. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. Now, I want you to listen to the very first words that John opens his gospel with. This is John chapter one, beginning in verse one. This is what John writes. He's referring back to the Genesis one creation account. He says this, in the beginning was the word. He's talking about Jesus there. In the beginning was the word, and the word with, was with God, and the word was God. All things were created through him, through Jesus. Apart from him, not one single thing was created. In him was life and the life was the light of man. Did you catch that? John just said this. Jesus is saying this in John chapter eight. Listen, I was there at the beginning. When there was nothing but darkness, I am the creative light that created life in this world. I am the pillar of fire that led you through the wilderness to the promised land. And right now I'm claiming that I can be the light of your life that will lead you to a life of abundance now and forever. That is who I am. I am the light of the world. These candles can light up your eyes and maybe get you in a festive holiday mood, but these candles can't save you. They can't light up your heart and your soul the way that I can and give you life. I'm the only person that can do that. So here's part two. Here's the big claim from Jesus. The claim is that Jesus is the light that brings life. Now you gotta understand, in essence, Jesus is saying right here, this whole thing is about me, right? The scriptures are about me. Human history ultimately points to me. He's saying, I was there in the beginning. I am the creative force that created everything that is that brought light into this world. I was the light that brought you through the wilderness via a pillar of fire in a miraculous way. And I am still that light that can lead you to life today. Now, you gotta understand, these people that he was speaking to, these crowds, they were looking for light in a lot of different places. They were looking for light in religion. They were looking for light in festivals. They were looking for light in fun. They were looking for light in all sorts of places. 
And you got to understand, these people were primarily, they were religious people, right? I mean, I, th- I think in today's terms, we would, we, would, we would have said about these people who were at this festival that Jesus is preaching to and making this bold claim to, we would have said, man, these are godly people. These, these, these are your weekly churchgoers. These are, these are the people that are involved in small groups. Man, they're using their gifts. They're, they're serving in the church body. They, they tithe every month. We would have said, man, these are godly people. They got their stuff together. Like, I want to be like them when I grow up spiritually. And yet Jesus looks at the very same people and he says, you're walking in darkness. And you don't even realize it. You think you've got it all figured out. But I'm telling you that you're actually walking in darkness. Now, how many of you know that it's possible, it's very, very possible, maybe even likely for a lot of people in this world to be religious or to be spiritual and then miss the whole thing entirely? Did you know that you can walk in darkness right next to the light and never actually step into the light? In fact, I I would argue that one of the greatest tragedies of religion is that you can know a lot about God and never actually meet God. And that was me. Until I was 20-something years old. I grew up in the church. I grew up going to Sunday school. I knew all the right theological answers. You could ask me about God. You could ask me about the Trinity. You could ask me about the virgin birth. You could ask me about any of those things, and I could recite facts to you like nobody's business. But I did not know the Lord. I was walking in darkness. I knew all about the light. I had studied the light. I could give you the facts about the light. But my life was lived out in the darkness. And I would just imagine there are a lot of people in this room, maybe watching right now online, that are in that category. You grew up in church, man. You know a lot about God. But if you were really, really honest with yourself, you would have to admit my life is walking in the darkness right now. I know about the light. I don't know the light and you're missing the whole point. So I'm just telling you, I don't care if you're religious, I don't care if you're a churchgoer, I don't care if you're spiritual, I don't, think you're, I don't care if you think you're a moral person or a good person or whatever that means to you. I'm telling you right now, based on the authority of scripture, if you've never given your whole heart and your whole life to Jesus, you are walking in darkness. Whether you realize it or not. And friend, I need you to know that Jesus, because he loves you, because he's created you for a greater purpose, He has so much more for your life than what you're experiencing right now. Now, here's here's what you gotta understand about light so that we understand the weightiness and the gravity of what Jesus is saying about himself when he says, I am the light of the world. The reality, this is a metaphor. This light thing, theme, is a thread that runs from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And you gotta understand in Scripture, light is always, always, always used as a metaphor for God's presence, his power, and his protection. And Jesus is saying, I am that light. I am the embodiment of all of that. I am that light. So three things from biblical perspective that I want you to know about light and then we'll move on. So light brings, number one, light brings life. It brings life. Now one of the great things for our our family um, during the season of of quarantine, the craziness of 2020, is that uh, my lovely bride has become the plant lady, okay? And so what that means is uh, she planted a garden this spring uh, for the very first time, which was awesome. We got to enjoy these vegetables and uh, all this fresh stuff, produce. 
and, and that's wonderful. But she's also really gotten into collecting indoor plants. Any plant fans inside? Inside plants? All right, we got some, some ladies in the house that love that. So now, just about every time my wife walks in the door, she's got a plant or two in her hand. And, and that's awesome. I, I'm down with plants. They look cool and clean the air and all that kind of good stuff. The problem is we're running out of place for plants, all right? And so just about, just about every single flat surface in our home is now covered with multiple plants. In fact, I, was, I almost took a picture so I could show you, but I thought I might get in trouble. So I didn't, take a, I didn't take a picture. But we got plants now all over our house, and they're cool, and I like them. But here's what we noticed early on when my wife started bringing all these plants home. We started noticing that the plants that we kept in darker spaces in our home began to wither and die. But we discovered a solution. That these plants that were in kind of more darker areas of our home, if we would just take them for a couple hours a day even and put them by a source of light, by a window or a door, that they would come back to life, that they would begin to thrive again. See, plants need light to have life. And we're not that much different than plants in that way. I can remember just a, just a couple of years ago for our, our, our 15th wedding anniversary, I got some uh, cheap Allegiant Air you know, like these $80 deals where you can just hop on a plane and go down to, to Florida, you know. So we took a long weekend, got an Airbnb. And um, it, was, it was February, right? So we're celebrating a little bit late. So we're now, you know, four months deep into wintertime, right, in the mountains. And so it's been cold and rainy and drizzly and gray. And, um, and I can't explain it, man, but we, when we landed in South Florida and I stepped out of that airplane into 85-degree weather, blue skies and the sun shining. It was like I came to life. And for the first time, I understood snowbirds, right? I know some of you guys, you're here like eight months a year, and then you go down to Florida for three or four months. I always thought that was insane until that moment. And I thought, these guys, are, these guys are, are geniuses. This is brilliant. So I stepped out, and I was like, a de- I didn't even realize it, but it was like a dead man resurrected to life, man. My mood changed almost immediately, man. I, I had more energy. I wanted to live life, man. It was life-giving, Life, light brings light. Light brings life. And Jesus is saying, I am that light that will bring life into your life and your world. So that's the first thing that light brings is it brings life. Plants need it. We need it as human beings. And Jesus is saying, I'm the ultimate light. The second thing light does is it not only brings life, but it brings clarity. It brings clarity to our lives. Have you ever found yourself in the middle of the night, maybe, um, in a dark place where you really needed light and you didn't have it and found yourself a bit frustrated or afraid. Um, when I was a kid, my, uh, my aunt had a, what we called a mountain home. It was just a, a, a home in the woods in the, the north part of Alabama. So it really it should have been called a, a home in the hills. Right? We, we have mountains in North Carolina. In Alabama, we just have hills. But we would go and, and, and usually spend like a week of vacation at my aunt's mountain home. And, uh, and we always had a lot of fun because it's in the middle of nowhere. I mean, just like miles and miles of woods and we could hike down to waterfalls and uh, just great childhood memories, you know, in those woods. And um, when I was about 12, I had a, a cousin that was about my age and we decided at age 12, we were, we were pretty tough. And so we decided that we weren't gonna sleep in the, in the main home with, the, with our parents. There was actually this little wooden shed out back in the woods and we decided hey man we're gonna go sleep out in the woods 
And so we went out there to this little wooden shed and it's kind of open air. It had a roof, but it didn't, it had, went, the windows weren't really glass. It just kind of screens. So you kind of, you were a little bit exposed uh, to the elements and, and we thought it was going to be really fun and we were going to be really brave. And it, and it was really fun until, until about two o'clock in the morning when I woke up with some loud animal right outside this, this little shack that we were in. And I tried to, at first I tried to calm myself down. I'm like, oh, calm down, Chris, man. It's probably like a raccoon, man. You know, it's, pro- it's probably nothing big. And so I kind of I peeked, peeked my head up over and looked out the little screen window. And it's just, we're in the woods, man. So no electricity in this place, this little shack. I couldn't see a yard in front of my face. So I could hear this thing, but I couldn't see it. And, and I knew it was close because I could hear it. And all of a sudden this thing, I started hearing it breathe. I'm like, this is not a squirrel. This is, this, this is, this is not a chipmunk. This, and so I, you know, I'm 12. So it's the middle of the night. I conjure up in my mind, this, this is a grizzly and that it, it's going down. This, this is, this is my last day on earth. And I confessed all my sins to the Lord and asked him to forgive me. And if he let me survive the night, I'd be a missionary in Africa. And I gave, accepted Jesus 13 times that night. And, um, I was, I was terrified, and the most terrifying thing was as I could peek up and look out into the outside, and I could see nothing. I had no clarity of vision at all. So I just, I literally, I laid there in terror for like three or four hours until the sun came up, and I gotta tell you, I was never more happy to see a sunrise in my life. That sun came up, now all of a sudden I had clarity. I could, I could look out that screen and I could make sure that my surroundings were clear and that bear was gone or deer or what, whatever it was. And as soon as I had clarity of vision, right, I, I made a beeline, I sprinted back to the main house, right? I was like, cousin, you gotta fend for yourself. I'm out of here, right? But I needed that light to give me clarity of my surroundings so I would know what my next steps were. I needed that clarity but I had nothing but fear until I had the correct light so I could see my surroundings. See, we all need light so that we can see ourselves and see our lives clearly. Not to see ourselves and see our lives through a faded kind of fog of selfishness or misperceptions about who we are or what the world is like. And Jesus is saying, I'm the light that will bring clarity to your life. I am that light. One of my favorite passages as a, as a kid was Psalm 119. Maybe you guys know it. It says, your word, O God, is a lamp for my feet and it is a light for my path. I appreciate the way uh, C.S. Lewis put it. I got this quote, we'll put it on the screens for you. Lewis says this, I believe in Christianity or I believe in Jesus as I believe that the sun has risen Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Friend, do you want clarity in your life? Are you in confusing seasons of life? Are there competing thoughts in your mind? Are there competing affections in your heart? Do you need clarity in your life? Do you need illumination in your mind? Jesus says, come to me. I am the light that will bring clarity and illumination to your life. I will light up your path. I will illuminate your heart. Third thing that light brings from a biblical perspective is safety. Life, I'm sorry, light brings safety. And so um, I know many of us 
love the great outdoors. That's why a lot of us come to the mountains, right? We love to, to hike and camp and fish and hunt and all these awesome things around here. And um, if, you're, if, you, if you're into camping, you know that one of the very first things you do before uh, it gets dark is you what? You build a what? You build a fire. Now, the reason that you build a fire when you're camping, there, there are several reasons why. The main reason is it brings safety from several things. First of all, the warmth of a fire protects you from hypothermia or cold, right? The smoke from the fire oftentimes will protect you from mosquitoes and insects, but also the light from the fire will typically protect you from uh, predators, right? One of the things my, my kids enjoy doing, uh, even, even when it's cold, is they like to go outside and play, right? So they like to ride their bikes and skate, roller skate, and do all these things outside and and we love that they, they love to do that. But I'm telling you, 5 o'clock, 5.30, when it starts to get dark, uh, Cheryl and I will, will, will kind of reach our head out the door and we'll say, hey, guys, it's getting dark. It's, it's time to come in. Come on, get your stuff. It's time to come in. It's getting dark, right? Why do we do that? Because there's safety in the light and danger lurks in the darkness. And Jesus is saying, listen, I am the light that brings warmth and safety in this dark world. Now, let me just be clear, uh, because I think there's, there, there tends to be some confusion about this, particularly in the church world. Th this promise from Jesus to be our light, this doesn't mean that if you follow Jesus that you're going to be protected from all the tragedies of this world, right? This doesn't mean that if you follow Jesus that all of your problems are instantaneously going to disappear. And I want to illustrate this truth by going back to what we just talked about. Think about the Israelites back in Exodus, all right, Exodus chapter 13. All right, this beautiful story where God delivers his people from the hands of the Egyptians from slavery and he's bringing them to the promised land. And yet, how long are they in the wilderness? Do you know? 40 hours, 40 days, 40 years in the wilderness awaiting the promise. Four decades. That'd be like getting a promise in 1980 and waiting until now to see it fulfilled. Could you imagine that? 40 years in the wilderness. And if I were a betting man, I would just, I would wager a lot of money that there's somebody here in the room this morning, maybe some people that are tuned in online. Some of you are wandering in the wilderness in your life right now and you're wondering where is the promised land? God, where's your promise? God, this is really hard. This is, this is really heavy, God. Where's your promise? Where's the fulfillment of what you've promised me? Where's this abundant life? But see, what I, I think that in the end, what we find is what the people of Israel find, found out is that the reward isn't so much in the promised land itself. The reward is God's presence, even in the wilderness. That's the great reward. And so we have this incredible setting where Jesus is speaking in the temple with all these incredible, huge, tiki torch lights. We have this incredible claim where he says, I am the light of the world. I'm the one you've been looking for. I'm the light in Genesis 1. I'm the light that led you for 40 years in the desert. I'm the light today, tomorrow, and forever. And then he closes this incredible passage with this amazing invitation. This is part three of the outline. Number three, 
a jaw-dropping invitation. Jesus says, follow me to life. I want you to look back at verse 12 for a moment. Go back to the claim that Jesus just made. He says, I am, I am the light of the world. Listen to this. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, Jesus has just made this stunning declaration, right? In this unlikely setting in the temple courtyards, I am the light of the world in front of these incredible torches. And now he extends an invitation. And he says, listen, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, this is, this, this is, this is mind-blowing. Stuff like this just blows my mind. I'm always kind of in awe of, of God's word and history and how all this kind of weaves together. But there's a, a prophet in the Old Testament named Isaiah. And he prophesied, actually, about the coming Messiah who would one day come, who would be the light bearer of the world. And he actually penned these words. Listen to this. 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Amazing. This is, I want you to see this. Isaiah 9, verse 2, says this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. He was predicting the light of the Messiah. This Messiah who would one day come and declare, I am the light of the world. I am your light that will lead you to life. In Revelation chapter 21 and 22, we don't have time to, to read it. But in John, John actually wrote that letter as well. And in Revelation 21 and 22, we see that the new heavens and the new earth, it's ama this amazing truth that there, there will be no sun. Did you know that? The new heavens, there, there will be no sun. There will be no lamps. There will be no light bulbs. Why? Because John says the glory of God will be our light in the new heavens and the new earth, and Jesus himself will be our lamp. Now, believer, listen, that, that's where we're going. That's, that's where we're headed. That, that's our home, follower of Jesus. That, that's where we're going. And so what I, what I want you to see in all of this is that this whole thing, all of human history, all of history itself, all of scripture from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, it is all about Jesus. It's all pointing to Jesus. He spoke light into existence in Genesis 1. He led his people through the wilderness via a pillar of fire. Miraculously in Exodus, he stood in the temple courts in John 8 and declared himself as the light of the world. And he stands ready today to bring you out of darkness and into the light that will lead you to an abundant life today in 2020. And so I just want to say, man, if you're, if you're out there and you've, uh, you've never just kind of waved that white flag of surrender in your life and just turned away from doing life your way and turned to Jesus, listen, I, I, I don't care if you grew up in church. I don't care if you know all the right answers. If you've never done that, you've never waved that white flag of surrender and given your life over completely to Jesus, I just want you to know, in love, you are walking in darkness today. You're walking hopelessly in darkness. But here's the good news. Jesus promises that you don't have to. You don't have to walk in darkness in your life. You can step into the light today. So if that's you, I just want to encourage you, turn to him. 
Man, he, he is the source of light that leads to life. He's the one that can make the blind see. He's the one that can breathe life into someone who's dead and bring them to life. Now see, here, here's, here's what I know about some of you, or at least what I would guess. I would guess that there are at least some of you, there's a group of you who are tuned in, maybe in the room, who have admired the light from afar. You've looked at the light. You've studied the light. You've maybe even, you've maybe even kind of memorized some verses about the light. You, you maybe could recite everything about the light. But here's the truth about you, and you know it's true, is that you've never actually stepped out of darkness and into that light. I want you to know that he is the light that leads to life. And if you've never done that, regardless of how religious you are, I want you to know that that can change for you today. Today could be the best day of your life. I also want you to know if you're here and you're already a part of the family, man, you're already a follower of Jesus, you're a Christian. This, this is what Jesus says to you in Matthew chapter five. And so I want you to, I want you to see this. I want this to be on the screens for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. This is what he says. He says, you are the light of the world. I love how Jesus will take truths about himself and then he'll impart those to us as his sons and his daughters, right? He says, I am the light of the world. Then he says, now you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, Jesus says, Christian, believer, my sons, my daughters, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so I just wanna say, if you have received that light, if you are in Christ this morning, I want you to know your number one purpose in life from this day until the day that you die is to be a light to those who are still walking in darkness. And so let me just ask you one, one question as, as we close. Christian, what area of your life are you not walking in light right now? What area of your life are you not walking in his light right now? Is there perhaps a relationship where there's some unforgiveness? Is there a relationship perhaps where there's some bitterness? Is there, is there someone in your life that you, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you need to make things right with but you just haven't because it's hard? Is there that someone that you know you should be sharing that light with in your life. Maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a classmate, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member and you just can't quite work up the courage. And God's just been tapping on your heart for a long time and you know you're supposed to share your story with them. And you know you're supposed to tell them where you've got that light and that they can have that light too, that they can find it in Jesus. What's that one area where you're just not walking in the light that Jesus wants to walk you, wants you to walk in? And I don't know, maybe for you it's, maybe for you it's a, it's a secret sin. And maybe you're out there and you're thinking, man, this is, you know, it's not really hurting anybody. And, and my parents don't know. Yeah, but God knows. 
He's the light that illuminates every corner of our minds and our hearts and he knows everything. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, my, well, my spouse doesn't know, but God knows. My pastor doesn't know. My youth group doesn't know. Yeah, but God knows. Jesus knows. It's that one area of your life where you're just not walking in the light that he wants you to walk in. Church, friend, brothers, sisters, let's step into the light that is Jesus this Christmas season because the truth of the matter is there is no life apart from him. Listen, Jesus was born into this world to give you light. And that's what this Christmas season is all about. So let's not miss that. Church, would you stand with me? I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing. God, we come to you and God, I just ask that you would forgive us, that you would forgive me for the times when I choose to walk in darkness when you've offered me light. God, would you just expose those areas in our hearts and our lives that are not pleasing to you? Those relationships, those sin patterns that aren't pleasing to you, God, would we lay those before you? Would you expose them? Would you illuminate them, God? And would you help us to cling to you as our source of light that leads to life? And Father, I pray for the person who's either here in the room, man, or, or, or maybe watching online who, who maybe has admired the light and has heard about the light, who has studied the light, who has memorized things about the light, but has never actually stepped out of the darkness of their life into the light of following Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that that person would have the boldness and the courage to pray some prayer like this with me right now. God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know that I'm walking in darkness. I'm trying to walk in my own light, but it's really just a dim darkness. God, and I know, I know that Jesus is the light of the world. I know he's the only one that can illuminate my heart and my life the way that I need so that I can come alive and live the life that you've designed for me, God. And so God, just the best way I, I know how, I'm, I just wanna give you my life right now. I want to turn from my sin. I want to turn from my darkness. And I want to turn to the light of Jesus. And I want to follow him from this day for the rest of my days. God, you are the light of the world. That's what this Christmas season is all about. We love you. We pray these things in the beautiful and the strong name of Jesus Christ.